would please be turning open to Psalm chapter 20. Last week, I anticipated bringing the introduction to our series in Zechariah, but as you now know it's been a it's been a different week for me, and kind of changed changed the focus of my my time with the Lord. And so this morning will be just out of uh, what the Lord's communicating to me this week. You know, I was reminded very immediately that God orders our steps. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I had a plan. I was excited about my plan. Monday, receiving news that I have. Fighting on a Thursday night. Nemesis now. Malignant melanoma right here on my lip. Sore that won't heal. Give a asterisk to my tears. Um, I'm not fearful really not. I've, I've, I'm really overwhelmed. One, by God's love. My wife's love. My children's love. Your love. So that's... I've been interacting with the C word. Never had it on my radar that it would pertain to me. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday have a follow-up meeting with a, a surgeon until Thursday. So Tuesday and Wednesday I was really practicing where it is in Isaiah. You're keeping that perfect peace. His mind is stayed on you. Lord, help me stay my mind on you because real I, I, was, I was in touch with the fragility of my mind going real fast to tragedy or catastrophe and reining that in. And he said, no, Lord, I'm, I'm on you, so thankfully, my wife and I did not do a lot of internet searches for melanoma on the lip. Did see? I searched like I wanted to see a picture, and I found a picture that's exactly what I have. I was like, all right, this is not. You never want to go to a doctor and say we've never seen this before. That's not comforting. We want them to. It'd be great if oh, we see this all the time. It's great. Well, I'm somewhere in between that, um, so it's very rare to have melanoma on the lip but not uncommon. I was thankful. Thursday met with the oncological surgeon. Uh, he'll need to remove about 40% of my bottom lip. Um, because uh, from the, the ulcer right here, from a centimeter on either side, and there's some, they have to figure out once they are on in the operating room how extensive the procedure will need to be hoping that it can just be cut this out and the plastic surgeon can sew me back up and over time it lip stretches back out to normal function uh, if and all the way to it could mean that I have they, they cut a flap another they cut a wedge out of the bottom and then a wedge out of the top and they take this wedge and dip it down 
and sew it back together in there. My, most of my, from what I understand, like this, sewn together because they want blood flow to go for the healing process for the bottom lip as it's, well, they take some of this upper and it becomes the bottom lip. So that could be, that's from, that's a little spectrum on what, uh, what we're looking at. Um, <clears throat> I'm thankful for medical care. I, I would love to wake up in the morning and see this completely healed and gone. So that's part of my prayer, and I'm going to ask for you all to pray over that. Uh, pray over me for that, but also just to keep that in your prayers. I, I would love to be healed by miracle or by medicine. However the Lord chooses that, I'm open for healing. Uh, it's just it's just weird to think about not having most of my bottom lip, what that's going to feel like. So, and I've already told, given permission to my children that they're going to be able to tease me no matter what, because it's going to be weird looking, and they're going to have to see me every day. So we're looking at a surgery on September 30th uh, in conjunction with the oncological surgeon and a plastic surgeon. Uh, they'll be doing that together and <clears throat> planning for a six-week recovery. So be working on this week, fill in the pulpit uh, for those six weeks that have already died. We'll be able to use some guys from over at Lakeview Christian Center, also uh, Mark and George Bellamy will be able to fill in for me. But I'm, I'm after this week, and it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, I'm really, really thankful for Diane. I'm really, really, really thankful for her. You know, her talent is medicine, but her, and this is going back to when we did the care for one another uh, message in the one another series, making Christ visible. The care for one another comes in the context of 1 Corinthians 12 when we're using our spiritual gifting in the body of Christ. Her spiritual gifting is discernment. She just looked at me. She's been looking at it over the course, I think it's been since May that I've had something on there and been checking with me. We tried to do different things. It wasn't working, and she just said, "Now our course of action was let's just take it off, and we'll cauterize it, and everything will be fine. We just promote the healing process." But I'm just going to go ahead and send it off. Pathology, just just to make sure. I'm really, really, really thankful for that discernment because that's not just that's just not a medical professional. She gets to be our friend. Feel. So really, really thankful for my wife. You know, whenever any of us is sick in our home goes into nurture mode personified what it normally is but the reality of God's being my anchor shows up Huge gratitude for strong women in my life. I'm really, really thankful for that. We are one of our goals is to raise strong women. Speak fierce for the Lord. 
my wife has been just reminding me that to not overlook. My wife has a weird, um, I don't know if this is spiritual gifting or what, but she just knows when anybody in our family is sick. She just knows it. She's, she just knows, oh, this time we need to bring him to the doctor. I'm like, it's fine. I'm a typical guy. It's fine. I've been telling her this lip thing. It's fine. It's fine. She says, I don't know. I don't think so. The Lord was preparing all of us. Now, although uh, we've been interacting with some serious news this week, um, the comfort that we have from love, the love of God, and really the nearness of God has really, really been special for us. And I have a unique sense church that uh, God has more fruitful labor for me in this life. I have that confidence. And no matter what, if they're going to test the morning of the surgery, they'll do a radioactive dye here to test my lymph nodes and my neck to see if the cancer has spread. If it has, there's oral uh, medications. It's, a, it's an immune booster. It's not like chemotherapy that kind of tears everything down to start from scratch. This is an immune booster that goes after the melanoma. So they're, they have some real big uh, high confidence level in those medicines. So I still don't know how extensive this will be, but either way, I just I think the Lord has communicated to me, I'm not done with you. So I'm really glad to hear that. I, I long for heaven. You know I love talking about heaven, and I love dreaming about heaven, and how great it's going to be, and wonderful it's going to be, and to discover what something up there tastes like bacon. I would really... I'm anxious for that, but you can eat all you want. It's not going to affect your heart. Uh, but I'm glad that the Lord said, it's still fruitful labor for me. I'm glad for my children. I mean, I don't feel done by raising them and my showing Christ to them loving them. I'm glad. I've been, <clears throat> I've been buoyed by God's sovereignty in that, in that component. But this is a few things that I have learned this week already. And I know lessons are going to continue to come. Uh, I have learned I have a greater capacity to know the sufferings of my sheep. Because some of you have faced this exact type of diagnosis. You have been so compassionate in, in reaching out and everybody that you have emailed or text if I've not responded uh, please forgive me for that it's been a lot and, and sometimes I'm not, I'm not quite sure in that moment what even to say and so I have uh, I find words to say all the time but in this, this week it's just been hard for me to find some words but I have a greater capacity to know the sufferings of the people I love the most on this earth uh, the other thing I've learned, I learned real quickly. I told Kathy this, I forget, earlier in the week. I just said, God owns my mouth, period. He owns it. And so he gets to remove my bottom lip if he wants to. But I'm trusting I'll still be able to preach the word, and hopefully it won't be too distracting. So we try to figure out what, that, what that's going to be. I've also learned that Scripture is more alive to me than ever. It's vivid. It's, it just, especially the Psalms where I've kind of camped out again this week. And looking at Psalm 20 is just a, a, an understanding for that. 
how, how it's just vivid. Uh, I've also just learned that I'm loved. I am loved by you. I'm loved by everybody in my life, and it is really, really cool. In, in moments of weakness and uncertainty, how the body of Christ shows up, and I thank you for it. But looking at Psalm 20, uh, this psalm was a psalm that was sung by God's people as they were preparing for battle. So we, when we think about different battles that we're facing, here I'm uh, facing a surgery, and, and some of you have faced surgeries before. You're, maybe you are facing just a, the day of trouble, emotional trouble, mental trouble, physical trouble, no matter what it is. There is, there is something for us as the people of God to hold on to, to say, God, I'm looking, I'm reminding myself again, I'm looking to you for what you promise and what you will deliver. This psalm is a prayer of the people for their king. But when we look through it, ultimately we find that it's our prayer for God's Messiah, his anointed one, to complete the battle that none of us could overcome in our own strength. So with anything that we're facing, this psalm is a great source of reminder to place our trust in the right place. God's word says in Psalm 20, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Now that psalm of David could mean by David or for David. I actually think this was a one for him. Somebody else wrote it for him when he was king. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of our God of Jacob, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Father, we ask that joy would be the result of our time in the word this morning. I pray that we would have a shout of joy rising up from within us because of the salvation that you have won for us. So no matter what battle we're facing, you're God, and we trust you. We don't trust in what we can see with chariots and horses. We trust in your name that is the banner over us. We love you in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. I think there are two big things that we see in this psalm. One is that there's protection in battle, and the other is their confidence. There's a confidence in battle. The protection shows up, and, and we're, we're hit with the reality in verse 1, the reality that the day of trouble comes. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The day of trouble comes, no matter how big, no matter how small, that we might be experiencing it. It just comes to us. And the greatest protection in battle is knowing and trusting in God's presence, because that's where the psalm goes. May the name of the Lord, uh, 
May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. That's a, everybody knew what that meant. It was from God's very presence on the earth. Protection comes from his presence. Help and support come from the presence of God. And this is not to be misunderstood as a, a superstitious help. Like when Israel, facing battle, brought the Ark of the Covenant out there thinking that, oh, since we have the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to win this battle. See, what Israel was doing in that moment is they were fighting like everybody else was fighting because the other nations would bring out their, uh, their trinkets, their, the trinket of their God or the form of their God in, in idolatrous form, whatever it was. They would parade that out there in the, under the superstitious thought that we have, if this means that God's, our God's presence is with us, so therefore we'll win this battle. God never instructed his people to bring out the Ark of the Covenant to fight a battle. Oh, the only time was, that comes to mind, was Jericho. Did you know that nobody had a weapon in his hand? I mean, when God's, maybe they were trying to reenact that. All right, let's get, maybe we don't have to use weapons. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant out there. But it was stolen. Philistines stole it. See, a lot of times we can think that our time in the presence of God, even if it's in our devotion or reading in the Bible, or our time in prayer, listening to the word, our time fellowshipping, we can act like that's like a one-for-one. One. When I do that, then I'm going to have victory. And that becomes superstition. It becomes performance-based. That's not how God operates with us. He wants to help. And he is geared to support us with his presence. But when we are in his presence, it settles our hearts to trust him. Not to figure him out, but to trust him. God wants his people to trust his plan for battle. And we know in the New Testament that our battleground doesn't look like the Old Testament battlegrounds. It doesn't look like a field that everybody has to go on and wield a weapon. But we have a spiritual battleground. Remember I, uh, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against, the flesh, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. How does that look? Our obedience and our experience of the presence of God wins battles in the heavenlies. I was reading, uh, interestingly, this is a Tim Keller's book, uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He brings out the distinction that in Dothan, which was uh, a little town, when Joseph came by there, was a bigger city when Elisha was there. Same little town. Uh, Joseph prays, God, rescue me. It looks like God doesn't answer. And all the fulfillment of, uh, of all the tragedy that happens with Joseph, Joseph, and then the end of his life, he sees, no, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. Same place in Dothan. The prophet Elisha is there, and they're facing a battle with the Syrian army. And Elisha's protege is really freaked out by it. We are going to get annihilated. He kept on saying, we're going to get annihilated. That's it. We're toast. Elisha prayed in that moment, God, I pray you open his eyes. And, and Elisha's all calm and everything. Don't you realize what's going on? Elisha says, oh, God, just open his eyes. At that moment, his servant's eyes were open. And he sees what? Enormous army of God, chariots of fire in the heavens. God answered Joseph, even though it looked like he didn't answer. 
because there was something happening in the spiritual realm that was taking place. And God, even though he seems hidden, is still answering prayer. So when we ask God and we, we have confidence that, God, will you answer? Yes, he answers. Sometimes he answers with a no. Sometimes he answers in ways that are just hidden to us. And later on, we may find out, we may not find out until eternity. We're in heaven. And then we, then we realize that why that took place and why that happened the way it did. But there's a spiritual realm that now we occupy in, in Christ. We have effect in that spiritual realm through our trust in God, through our obedience to his word. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4 say, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The next verse, I forgot to put in there, so read. Paul goes to the mind. So we take every thought captive. So we're able to destroy strongholds by what we think. And that's thinking rightly about God, thinking rightly about his sovereignty and rightly about his love and his presence and who we are in Christ when we think. And that's, the Psalms do a great job of pointing that out. Remember God. We don't, we don't approach battle in life trusting in odds or personal strength. We yearn for God's presence. This week has been a week that has gotten me in touch with my weakness. And I remembered over and over and over again 2 Corinthians 12. It's in my weakness that God's power is perfected. His grace is sufficient. So there is protection in battle provided by God's presence. There's also protection in battle that is grounded in the provision of God. We see that in verse 5. Or sorry, verse 3. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Now it can look like Oh, David performed well. He did enough offerings and he did enough sacrifices so God's pleased with him. That's how the other nations thought it through. We have to appease God. We have to get him on our side. We have to placate his anger somehow. We just have to settle him down and we can do that by all the sacrifices that we offer to him. Remember, that's not how God operates. Because God provides every sacrifice that he calls us to provides the greatest sacrifice the sacrifice for our sin that when we are forgiven of our sin our relationship with God is restored to him forever and we trust that by faith and so all the offerings and the sacrifices become a reflection of what we have in him it was the same way in the Old Testament See, the Old Testament believers were looking at the Messiah that would be the perfect sacrifice that would be there and so all of their sacrifices that they're making, they did by faith that God was going to send the ultimate sacrifice to do away with all sacrifices. And on this side, we believe that he has already sent the ultimate sacrifice. So that's why our lives, Romans chapter 12, our lives are living sacrifices out of all that we have in Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross and we have repented of our sins and trusted him for salvation so now we have new life promised by the word we, we have new life that renews our minds so we can look at things and not see them in natural components or, or natural thinking Look, I, I'm, there, there's some comfort that I derive this week from confident physicians and I think it's okay for me to be comforted by that it's not my ultimate comfort 
ultimate comfort is God is God and he is already he's already dealt with my greatest he's already solved my greatest that's my separation from him he has solved it he sought me and he saved me not because of works that I did in righteousness because he loved me draws us to him and he's mine he's mine forever God answers us in times of battle because of our identity in him. He's provided the offering and the sacrifice that has secured us and secured all the promises. That's why in the New Testament we read that all the promises are yes and amen in, in Christ. Hold to that, but he's we're protected because we have the confidence that he's already dealt with our greatest need to bring us to him. And then the Verse 4 through the rest of the psalm, I think we have different, uh, different evidences of confidence in battle. Verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. You know, a lot of times I think we, we may back off how we pray for our heart's desire, our plans, because, you know, we... we you know, we're selfish individuals and we ask God things for selfish things selfishly so we can be kind of comforted in the natural rather than what God might have. So we just, we a lot of times maybe might ignore our heart's desire. My, my heart's desire that I have confidence that God still wants to complete what I'm still asking for is for him to grow and multiply this church. There are still lost sheep that need to hear his voice and be saved. There are still wandering sheep that we're wanting God to bring to us to find a home here so they can feel settled in their walk with the Lord and begin to work through, through his grace, be able to work and care for the body. There's more work to be done, and I'm holding that before the Lord. God, I, and I'm asking, can I still be that guy? Can I still be the one to lead the church into that category? It's okay to ask God for those things. Now, we don't want to be ridiculously selfish, but we want to make sure that our plans and desires are in concert with God's. They're not against God's. They're not the antithesis of what God's plans are. We want God to receive the glory and Jesus to be exalted. And so our heart's desires to have him exalted and get us out of the way so he can be exalted, those are good and healthy for us to keep, uh, to keep before the Lord. I also have a desire to see the work of Christ furthered and fruitful in my family. So I'm, I'm asking the Lord for more fruitful years in that. There's also in, in verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. There is a, that shout for joy because of your salvation. There's a trickle-down effect when God gives success to his people. Because everybody else gets to enjoy that. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. We suffer with those who suffer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. There's that communal effect that God wants to bring. So we look for and anticipate success. We rejoice in God's salvation of our loved ones. And I, I pray that we all, as we do that, there are shouts of joy that come because of our experience of salvation. And then we, we have shouts of joy because of God's presence showing up and his provision showing up in other people. The last part of 1 
verse 5. In the name of our God, we set up our banners. The banner was used uniquely in Israel. Remember, they're going to battle. The banner was used to, one, identify the army, but it was raised high to, to show victory. So in essence, what they're asking for is victory before the battle's even fought. That's a great Bible concept, isn't it? That's what we have in Christ. So when we, when we think about him being our banner, he's the victory. And the victory has already been won. It's already been secured. And when Jesus, our king, is exalted, we get the trickle-down effect of his joy. That's his presence and his provision. He wants to be with us. Now he also goes in the name of our God, and we see that. Verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why the name? Because remember, God has the name that he doesn't share with anybody in all existence. He is what? I am. No other God claims that. No other God can come close to it. That's why he's exalted far above all gods. He is God. And when we, when we have his name as our banner, our victory, that's when joy comes to us. Remember how David went out against Goliath? Or Samuel 17, verse 45 said, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. We trust God. Before battle, before anything that we're facing, we trust him beforehand because we, we know he has proven his grace, so we trust in future grace. We have confidence that God will respond to preserve his work of glory in our lives. We don't look... And trust in natural strength. That's what chariots and horses represent. A natural strength that is, is uh, our, own, our own fortitude, our own mental stability, our own intellect, or our own physical prowess. We can't depend on any of those things. We don't depend on, like I said earlier, we don't depend on the, the natural strength of odds and natural confidence. We, we trust God. Those are helpful, but we trust God. Because God's answer came through the King of Kings. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. This is a faithful proclamation. Now I know the Lord saves. Why? Because he's proven he saved the king before? Perhaps, but this is where we see Jesus in this psalm. His anointed, his Messiah, the one that would come, that would be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Jesus cried out to God before his battle, and God answered. Our greatest battle has been won, and we have confidence that because he stands, we will rise and stand upright. Ultimately, in, in, in all eternity, but we have a fruitfulness that we get to, we have a trickle-down effect joy that we get to stand in in this life as well. We trust. 
in the name of our God. So church, I'm asking that you would pray for me this morning. I'm going to be right there, and please gather around me and just lift up me, lift up my family, and, and we'll just take a couple minutes to pray. But no, my heart is full of trust. My heart is full that God's glory will have the last word. His glory will have the last word, both in my heart and all of us. Pray for me.